Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. As a child, one thing that never leaves you are the memories from the amazing books you read which take you from one adventure into another, awakening your imagination. When it comes to telling stories with beautiful imagery and stories of mystical animals, no one has the magic touch quite like Graham Bass. Graham is one of the world's most popular creators of picture books with titles like Animalia and The Eleventh Hour. And his latest book is called Moonfish. Hi, Graham. How are you? Hi. Well, thanks. What do you love most about creating picture books? Well, the thing is that if it wasn't my job, I'd be doing it anyway because it's just in me to, to sort of, I suppose, make imagery of the things I see around me. And, and the fact that it's actually my work is just like absolutely bizarre luck. <laughs> uh, I, 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 for most of my career, I've just been waiting for somebody to ring me up and say, Oi, you, get a proper job. You can't just have to keep on having fun like this. It's not fair. <laughs> um, well, everyone knows... Animalia. It was such a huge success and an incredible book, of course. Um, But it is one of those books that is so huge. Um, I imagine it might be difficult to follow up with a book after it. Was it tough? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, you had such a great success. Is it it at all intimidating after that to do your next picture book? It was hugely intimidating. Remembering back, I, I, I I had this this term one hit wonder sort of spinning around my head, you know, and thinking, is this it? You know, will I ever come up with something else? And it was funny at the time somebody said, oh, why don't you do a sequel? And I thought, what? (laughs) Did I miss a couple of letters or something? I I didn't know really what they meant, but, but I was lucky. And I thought, well, maybe a numbers book or something, but it felt too formulaic. And I was very lucky that um, over that summer holidays after the book, had, I'd got back from this big tour in America and the, the thing had gone sort of crazy. And I'd been reading a couple of um, Agatha Christie stories, you know, for, you know, which are obviously adult books, mystery, murder mysteries. But um, it suddenly made me think, wait, wait a second, maybe I could do one of these for kids. And rather than hiding all the clues in the text, I'll hide the clues in the artwork. And that became The Eleventh Hour. It was very different to Animalia in concept, but it felt almost like a, a partner book because all of the artwork was equally sort of detailed and labour intensive. And you know, I, I was terrified that it was just going to sink like a stone, but in fact, it didn't. It, it worked <laughs> as well, and you know, and I went on from there. And the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> as they say. Um, and your your new book, Moonfish, is mm. set in a pond beneath a dragon moon. Uh, I mean, you've just explained two of the inspirations pretty much behind your work. Well, I mean, we haven't talked about Animalia, but definitely The Eleventh Hour. Where did you find the inspiration for that particular setting? About five years ago, um, I started um, regularly going to China. I've got a publisher over, over there in Wuhan who's um, proven to be tremendously uh, enthusiastic about everything I've ever done. And w- uh, when I was there, about the second time, I think, on tour, uh, they asked me, you know, would, you know, would I be interested in doing a book sort of set in China? And it was, it was exactly at my alley, because that's what I do. I travel. I, if I go to Africa, I'll, I'll write a book like Jungle Drums. You know, it, you know, it, it, if I go to 
Cambodia I wrote, The Last King of Angkor Wat. That, that's what inspires me is travel and seeing things and wanting to somehow capture them. Um, so it was, it, I, I began to think about it and I thought, yeah, I'd love to do a book which, which has this sort of you know, Chinese overlay. But I also love writing, I suppose, like fables, really. That's, that's how they feel. A lot of the books which I've done in the last 20 years have that fable-like sort of text. Um, so I, I thought rather than just doing like a travelogue of being in China, I'll actually sort of use lots of elements of the Chinese um, landscape but sort of repurpose them and put them underwater. Um, and it, it's really a story essentially of, uh, I suppose it's riffing on the ugly duckling about a, uh, this little fish who is found in, in, you know, in the reeds by a, a couple and he never feels as though he belongs and he's teased by the other kids for being different. Uh, he's, he's bigger and he's weird looking and different colours and stuff and he never feels that he's part of the village. So he talks to his parents and he decides he's going to leave and go out into the world and try and discover who he is. And so that's where we have the travel log and the things that you, you can sort of, you see things which might be the you know, Mongolian sort of wilderness or the Great Wall of China or those wonderful mountains in Guilin, uh, all, all which would be recognizably Chinese, but they've all got this you know, watery <laughs> overlay to them. And the character goes through his journey and eventually comes back. And look, I won't give away what happens, but he, he, there's a transformation, much like in The Ugly Duckling. And uh, suddenly the village who, and the kids who used to sort of spill and go, wow, it, wow, you're incredible. And he really suddenly feels as though he's part of the community and this, realizes that's where he belongs. That is his home. So it's a simple story, but with uh, a, a lot of, other sort of layers going on. You um, mentioned there that there's something mythical about it, and it certainly does look like that in the book. Myths themselves can be quite dark. Was that something you had in mind as you were creating this book, to have those contrasting elements of light and dark or love and fear? Well, I think that that does make for a good story, but you've got to be very careful how you temper those. I would never leave um, a reader in the dark, but I don't mind taking them close, you know, and saying, okay, well, so this is, this is a, you know, a, an area of, of, of the story and they might, you know, sit in a little bit quieter and listen, you know, as, as this piece goes through, but it's part of the, 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 the dramatic curve of really, I think almost any story. Um, and uh, it, it finishes with a very positive sense of, of belonging and of heroism um, uh, and and completion, uh, and every book that I've that I've done, which has a, a story thread like that, um, would always have that kind of curve, but always finish up, finish with a with a with success and positive notes. And of course, you're um, famous for your extraordinary pictures and the art that is in your books. How long does it take you to create a book like this? Well, I, I'm getting faster. But, <laughs> <laughs> but Animalia, for instance, that took me three years, three years of a very sort of embryonic career. It must be madness, as if anyone needed or wanted another English language alphabet book. But it, it, it never worried me because I, I was just so in love with just, you know, just creating this, you know, these images. And it's always been the same. But I have got, I have got quicker. I'm, 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 I've kind of learned my craft as I've, I've gone along over the last, I suppose, 30-something years, 35 years. Um, but it's, it's still, that's, that's, that's the long haul. Writing the, 
the, the stories, conceiving of the stories and writing them is relatively quick. Um, but it will take me a, still a, a year or two to, uh, to create a book on average. And over the time that you've been drawing picture books and, and, and doing picture books, have you noticed a change? It seems to me that there are so many more brilliant uh, books out there, particularly from Australia. Have you seen the industry change here? What you say is absolutely true. And I was incredibly lucky just from a personal, selfish point of view that I wrote a sort of a a bit of a crest of a wave there. Um, There were still a lot of books that were coming in from overseas when I started. Not to say that they weren't great books here as well. Peter Pavey with One Dragon's Dream and and Ron Brooks and and many others. Jane Tanner uh, producing wonderful books uh, at that time. But... They, they hadn't travelled overseas terribly much. And Animalia was just a phenomenon in that way, that it, it, it went um, overseas. The market now here um, is very healthy with, with, with tr- tremendous local uh, authors and illustrators working in the field. And I, and I think if I was starting off again, now I'd be a bit daunted. I'm a bit <laughs> lucky that I'm one of the old men of the industry now, and I, 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 don't, I don't have to... Sh- struggle to find my place I suppose yeah so interesting and Graham it's a beautiful book so thank you so much for talking with us today it's been an absolute pleasure thank you that's Graham Bass he's the author illustrator of many books that you'll have heard of including Animalia and the 11th hour and his latest book is called Moonfish we'll pop links in the notes to this episode for where you can find a copy Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.